days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you would empower me with your Holy Spirit this morning that I might speak in a way which is very accurate, very compassionate, true, and convicting. I pray that your Spirit will accompany the preaching of the Word this morning so that we might, Lord, fall under conviction acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, and strive by the power of the Holy Spirit to live for you. Lord, on this Independence Day weekend, we acknowledge our dependence upon you. Acknowledging, Lord, that none of this will happen unless you, Lord, are pleased to move. And so, Lord, for your glory, do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's the last verse in the book of Judges. This verse anticipates a monarch who is going to rule by absolute standards, and that king is Jesus. The book of Judges is rough. Many of the stories are for mature audiences only. The book of Judges is repetitive. There is a reoccurring cycle of sin and suffering and supplication and salvation and solace over and over and over. The book of Judges is rhetorical uh, in that it is arranged thematically and theologically, not chronologically. It is not your average history book. And most importantly, the book of Judges is redemptive. It shows the mercy of God to rebellious people, disobedient people, and it gives us countless pictures of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So the point of the Bible is Jesus. The point of the book of Judges is that Jesus is better than anything in self-styled anarchistic Judaism. Now last week we looked at Judges chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 5, and that was the first of two introductions to the book of Judges. Most books have zero introductions or one introduction. The book of Judges has two. We looked at the first one last week. Today we're going to look at the second. And in that passage last week, we noted that many of the tribes were disobedient, but there were a few that were obedient, namely Judah and Simeon and Joseph. They were obedient to drive out the Canaanites from the promised land as God commanded, but Most of the tribes were not obedient. They compromised. They gave partial obedience or disobedience to the Lord. And this grieved Jesus, the angel of the Lord. And Jesus appeared to the people of God. And he said, going forward, no longer are you going to be able to drive out the Canaanites. Those nations are going to stick around. And they're going to be miserable in your presence. When the people heard this, they cried, but did they repent? That brings us to chapter 2, verse 6. The second introduction, which runs all the way through chapter 3, verse 6. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. If you do not have your Bible, the bulletin that was provided for you today has the full text. What it's going to be today is our goal to cover these 24 verses. 
in Judges chapter 2, verse 6 through 3, 6. But let's not talk about today, let's talk about tomorrow. Tomorrow we are going to celebrate our 246th birthday as a nation. On July 4th, 1776, John Hancock put his John Hancock on a document called the Declaration of Independence in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in Independence Hall. And thereby, we declared ourselves to be independent from Great Britain. And this was cause for great celebration. John Adams, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, seemed to understand the significance of this event, and in a private letter to his wife Abigail in Massachusetts, John Adams wrote the following. I am apt to believe that it will be, it being the signing of the Declaration of the Independence, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as a great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, Second Amendment, bells, bonfires, and illuminations, or fireworks, from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward and forevermore. End quote. And what foresight. Now, it is not clear as to whether or not John Adams could foresee Old Navy t-shirts and wacky photos on Independence Day at Central Park as part of our national tradition, but I think he got the general idea, and that is, this is a big deal, and it ought to be celebrated. And it is important to remember great events and to celebrate them in our history. Now, from our perspective, and when I say the word our, I'm speaking of Americans, from our perspective, what the Declaration of Independence says is that we freed ourselves from the unreasonable tyranny of King George III and became an independent nation. The Brits would say that we committed an act of treason by declaring ourselves an independent nation from a God-ordained king. We have four interns here this summer who are from the United Kingdom. And, of course, we love them, uh, but we hold the first position, and that is that we freed ourselves from an unreasonable tyranny. But our picnic tomorrow is not an attempt to rub their noses in it, nor to gloat. Because over the past 246 years, I think we have buried the hatchet. Uh, we have helped each other in a couple of world wars. They gave us the Beatles and Downton Abbey. We gave them Megan, so I think we're even. So no hard feelings. But even though we today hold no bitterness, nor do they, we do need to remember that there was a Declaration of Independence followed by a war which we won. And it's not wrong to remember and it's not wrong to celebrate. Israel likewise gained their independence from Egypt. They fought a war, or should I say God fought a war for them, and they won through the mighty hand of God. Yet instead of remembering and celebrating 
and loving God and submitting to Him, what they simply did was to forget. Listen as I read Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. So far, so good. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done in Israel. So far, so good. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnaharis in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not, who did not, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Educationally speaking, I have many regrets. Chief among them is that I did not pay attention in my American history classes. Uh, this was probably in large part due to the fact of my own personal foolishness and short-sightedness. However, I think that my teachers can take some of the blame in that they never told us why the history of our nation was important. I think maybe if I had known why it was important, I might have, not for sure, but I might have paid attention. It was as if they were intentionally trying to bore us with irrelevant facts about dates and battles and people. I think it would have been impossible for them to accidentally be as dry and as drab as they were. I think that they were probably trying to get us to hate history. I think that the state of Pennsylvania could have licensed them legally as anesthesiologists because they were putting us to sleep. It wasn't until I was an adult that I started to study the history of America, and for those of you who have studied it, you know it to be fascinating. It's a very entertaining drama of God's providence and God's kindness. Sadly, however, when I look at today's generation in America of school students, I am saddened that they do not know our story. And I am further saddened that very few schools even are trying to teach our story. And worse yet, not only is it not learned and not only is it not taught, but there is a general sentiment that it is actually wrong for us to celebrate our past. I, for one, am really tired of being told to tone down my love of country. Those who listen to and obey the voices that tell him that it is wrong to be patriotic and that it is wrong to wave the flag usually have this one thing in common, and that is that they do not know our history. And therefore, it is easy for them to be critical, and it is easy to view patriotism as offensive. Now, I will grant you that we as a nation are sinners, and we have disobeyed God, and we have injured our fellow man through slavery and through abortion and through 
some unnecessary wars. I, nor no other patriotic person that I know of, claims that we are perfect. Uh, We are not a Christian nation. We have never been a Christian nation. We have horrible, visible warts and wrinkles and boils and pimples which are visible. But that does not negate the fact, the objective fact, that God, for reasons only known to him, has chosen to uniquely bless this land for the past 246 years. It is not a sin to remember Lexington and Concord. Do not be ashamed to celebrate the Emancipation Proclamation or Appomattox Courthouse. Engrave in your memory the Enola Gay and the Cuban Missile Crisis when Khrushchev turned his ships around. Remember Lake Placid, 1980. Don't forget Mike Eruzzaroni. Do you believe in miracles? Because the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. Lee Greenwood, 1984. Do you ever ask yourself, Why do people from other countries want to come here? Now, if you were not an American, I mean no disrespect to you. You should love your country. But neither do I apologize for being American and loving America. I was told that there is a lot of discussion on social media about some Christians being conflicted about the reversal of Roe v. Wade. We have been told, be careful how you celebrate because the justices who overturned the decision were appointed by one political party and not by another, thus making it political. So please, be careful how you celebrate. And I say, are you stinking kidding me? For half a century, we legally murdered and ripped apart 66 million defenseless babies and anything by anyone which could be done to slow that down or stop it should be gloriously celebrated regardless of who put it into place. It doesn't matter if it was Joseph Stalin or Attila the Hun or worse yet, George Steinbrenner. It doesn't matter who brought it into place. The fact that it was reversed is the important thing and we should gloriously celebrate because more babies are going to live. Thank God that he shed his grace on our nation for the past two and a half centuries. But unless you know our history, you cannot celebrate our history. Now, let me be clear, let me pause, and let me shift gears. Everything that I have just said over the the past five and a half pages of my sermon notes is an analogy. It is an illustration. It is not the point of my sermon. It is an attempt to make a point from the world which can illustrate a gospel truth. Uh, Let's just say for the sake of argument that my love of country and patriotism is unfounded and distorted and out of line. I don't think that it is, but let's just say for the sake of argument that it is. One thing that you cannot deny 
is that we as Americans do not know and we do not remember our history. We forgot the men who died who gave us the right to forget them. That's just true. And yet, as tragic as that is, that our kids no longer know our history and that there is an intentional attempt to rain on our Independence Day parade, it is far, 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 far worse that Israel forgot God and that Israel forgot their history and they forgot the works that he did in Egypt with the ten plagues and with the Passover and with the passage through the Red Sea. It's far worse that they forgot about the manna and the quail and the water from the rock and their constitution as a nation in the giving of the law at Mount Sinai and more importantly that they forgot what that constitution says and what they were to do in service to their God. They forgot the law. It's horrible that they forgot about the report of the 12 spies and that they forgot about the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It's horrible that they forgot about the crossing of the Jordan into the land of Canaan and Joshua fighting the battle of Jericho and the walls come tumbling down. It is horrible that they forgot that the sun stood still in their defense. You see, the conquest of the land under Joshua was something that these people forgot. They forgot their history. These events were not taught in Israelite public schools. The homeschool kids didn't even know these things. And in the space of one generation, Joshua and his contemporaries die, and his grandchildren are saying, who is Yahweh? We don't know him, and we do not know what he has done. I was born in the land of Canaan. Yes, I happen to be circumcised, but I cannot tell you how we got here. That is the ancient Near East equivalent to you saying to yourself, what was Lexington and Concord? What is the Emancipation Proclamation? What was Appomattox Courthouse? Who was Khrushchev and what was the Cuban Missile Crisis? What was the Enola Gay? Does that have something to do with a parade? And what happened in Lake Placid in 1980? What is he talking about? That was the general sentiment among the children of Israel. They did not remember their history, nor did they know the God who delivered them. You know, North Shore Baptist Church, in the grand scheme of eternity, it is okay, ultimately, and I'm speaking big picture now, eternally, if your children do not know American history. I wish that they did, but, but I, 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 and I am not ashamed to say that I know these things, but you don't actually have to know these things. However, if your children do not know the Lord and His works, you are going to experience eternal consequences. You see, for Israel, the fact that they did not know the God of their history meant that they were wide open to the lies and the false teaching and the apostasy and ultimately the damnation of the Canaanites among whom they live. And instead of knowing and loving and serving the God who saved their parents, they were grafted into pagan culture, specifically into Baal worship. Look at verses 11 through 15. 
And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people, peoples who were around them, and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord who served and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned them, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Let's talk about Baal worship. Baal was a god of fertility, rain, and reproduction. If it rains, things grow, you have something to eat, that is fertility. If you have lots of kids, that is fertility, and Baal was the god of fertility. And Baal had a girlfriend, and her name was Ashtoreth. And in this pagan religion, the more intimate the two of them became, the more the worshipers of Baal would enjoy their fertility or prosperity. And so in their sick and twisted religion, which which sparked love between Baal and his lady friend, basically what was going on in the celestial realm in Baal worship was fornication between two gods, and that which would spur it on would be human fornication by the worshipers of Baal. And, and therefore, going to the temple for a midweek service meant that you would be going to the temple and that you would be getting a prostitute and in an attempt to motivate Baal to fornicate and to procreate blessings upon the earth, you would come together with the prostitute at the temple. You see, Israel no longer looked to the Lord to supply rain, livestock, and children. Instead, they engaged in ritualistic fornication in order to motivate the gods to bless them. Maybe you can see a little more clearly now why Israel was commanded to utterly drive out and destroy the Canaanites. Uh, last week, we learned that they did not. And the result of them not doing that is that they learned and they practiced pagan culture, specifically Baal worship, more than them having an influence upon the culture. North Shore Baptist Church, somebody is going to discipline your children, somebody is going to disciple your children. And if you are not intentional to teach them the gospel and to model it in front of them and to prioritize the Bible, it's only going to take one Count it, one generation of kids raised on TikTok to forget God and to be fully incorporated into pagan American secularism, humanism, and hedonism. Now, you yourself may very well be an actual Christian who has been delivered from Egypt. And you may have witnessed firsthand God's mighty deeds and God's saving work in your life through the gospel. Yet simultaneously, you might be allowing Baal to raise your children. Several years ago, my daughter 
met a young lady when we were on vacation. Her last name happened to be Spurgeon. She happened to be from London. Anna asked, I'm sorry, Madison asked the young lady, are you related to Charles Spurgeon? The young lady had never heard of Charles Spurgeon, the greatest preacher ever to preach in the English language. My wife later spoke to the girl's mother and said, are you related to Charles Spurgeon? The lady said, I'm not, but my ex-husband was. He is a direct descendant of Spurgeon. My wife was really excited to hear this, and she asked, where do you go to church? She said, we don't go to church anywhere. We have no religion whatsoever. If three or four generations after the greatest man who ever preached the gospel in the English language has a direct descendant who has nothing to do with church, are we any better? Can we just coast and let the next generation be what it's going to be? You see, theoretically, you can do everything right in order to raise your kids to follow the Lord. And they, by themselves, can choose to worship Baal. That is not my point. My point is this. Israel made no attempt to pass the baton of faith and dedication to Yahweh on to the next generation. And some of you are losing your kids, and the reason in part that you are losing your kids is because there is no genuine effort to educate them nor save them. You remember how the movie Back to the Future Part 1 ends. Marty is at his house. He just arrived home. And out of nowhere, Doc Brown in the DeLorean comes zooming in. And he has to take Marty into the future. Why? What was the reason that Christopher Lloyd gave for them having to go? Do you remember? It's your kids, Marty. It's your kids. You've got to do something about your kids. That is what we need to be saying to ourselves. It is our children. It is about our children. Or as Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young said, 1969, teach your children well. You see, in Deuteronomy, God instructed Israel to be diligent about this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, after having just heard the words, Serve the Lord your God. The Lord our God is one. Love Him with everything in you. And then in verse 7, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. Later in that chapter, in verse 21, if your son comes to you and asks, What is all of this about? You are to answer, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Parents, Church, I want to tell you that the next generation will be responsible for their own actions. However, you are responsible to teach them well. The rest of Judges chapter 2 is a description of the repetitive cycle of sin and suffering, supplication, salvation, solace, sin, suffering, and so forth. Listen as I read verses 16 through 23. This is the pattern for the rest of the book of Judges. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had 
obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. You see this plot repeated over and over again in this what is called the cycle of the judges. The one thing, however, that I want you to note in this section is in verse 16. This is an amazing verse. It says, The Lord raised up judges who saved them. The Lord raised up judges who saved them. After verses 11 through 15, you would think that the thing which should be said in verse 16 is, then the Lord justly obliterated them in his justice and his wrath. But it does not say that. It says, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them. I want to tell you this morning, most importantly, that the God of the Bible is a God of strange and unusual mercy. And he grants it to the undeserving. We are okay with mercy as long as it adds up in our mind. But the God of the Bible is a God of inexplicable mercy or amazing grace. I love America, but let's be honest. The only reason that we are a great nation is, as Ray Charles sang, God done shed his grace on thee. Our greatness is not due to our greatness. It is due 100% to God's goodness. And likewise, we in our sin and rebellion and apathy and thanklessness and idolatry deserve to be and should be in hell. Please understand, you should not be going to hell right now. You should be there right now, deservedly. We have all earned eternal damnation, writhing in pain endlessly in the lake of fire with no means of escape. That is our just payment for the wages of sin is death. Yet strangely, amazingly, we read that God raised up a deliverer from the tribe of Judah. Jesus, the Lord's Christ, the anointed Messiah, a judge to save us from our enemies, from the devil, from sin, a deliverer to save us from the wrath of God. And this he did by coming to earth and living among us, perfectly obeying God's law, keeping the covenant that Israel could not keep, and then dying in place of his enemies 
to save you, to save me, to save all of God's elect at Calvary. For mercy there was great and grace was free. You see, the cross still stands for freedom, and they can't take that away. Ed Moore, 2022. Othniel and Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, and Jephthah, and Samson could only offer a small portion of Israel a temporary deliverance. But Jesus offers a full pardon and an eternal pardon to all who will call upon him. For whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And it should amaze you in the face of sin and total disrespect that God raised up judges to save an idolatrous people, but more so, infinitely more so, it should amaze you that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, our text today ends with chapter 3, verse 6. In the beginning of chapter 3, we are told that God had additional designs in allowing the pagan Canaanites to remain in the land. I won't read the verses, but I will tell you that in verse 2, it was done, first of all, so that Israel would learn how to fight. Israel meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Israel needed the ability to drive out foreign armies, and they would need that for the next millennium. How did they get that? By God leaving the pagans in the land. They needed that skill, and so the pagans were there to teach them. The second reason why God left the pagans in the land was to test their loyalty. Verse 4. Three, four. They, that is the pagans in the land, were for the testing of Israel, to know whether Israel would obey the commands of the Lord which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. You know the rest of the story, that they failed the test. But if you are to be honest, we are also test failers, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There was, however, one who came to be tested and in the wilderness, the devil said, sin, 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 and Jesus said, no, 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 by using the word of God. Jesus was tested and he passed the test and God acknowledged that Jesus passed the test by saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And God acknowledged that he passed the test by raising him from the dead. The book of Judges illustrates our need to remember history and to avoid the sins of our forefathers. But more importantly, the book of Judges shows us that there is mercy from the hand of God who raises up a deliverer so that we might be saved. Three points of application before we close. Number one, if God has saved you, then what you need to do on this Independence Day weekend is you need to give yourself a history lesson and do not forget what God has done for you in Christ. In other words, here is your assignment. Tell yourself your testimony and allow the truths of your independence from sin to cause you to celebrate. And realizing the value of your soul by telling yourself your testimony, use that history 
continually as a reminder to continually fight against sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. Has God saved you? Have you forgotten about it? Please remember from whence He brought you. Please remember how He saved you. Please reflect upon what He has saved you from. Do not forget your testimony. Use that as motivation to press on in godliness. Number two, not just for parents, but more so for parents, but for the entire church, I would say this. Use every possible means of grace to ensure that the next generation at least knows about the freedom that we have in Christ. Mothers and fathers, your children might be listening right now, so you know the answer to this. Are you having family devotions consistently? Mothers and fathers, do you bring your children to church every opportunity that you have? Not only on Sunday mornings, but also for the carpenter shop or for vacation Bible school or for the after school class or the youth group. Are your children exposed continually to the means of grace, which is the word of God in the local church? You yourself also must model authentic faith in Christ and love for God, for they will not do what you say, but they will do what you do. You must intentionally go out of your way to talk to your children about their spiritual condition. Very practically, the way that you do this is that when they are going to bed, you go into their bedroom and you sit down when it is quiet and you talk to them about their soul. Are you bringing the gospel to your children continually? You must guard your home. You must guard their phones from the influence of Baal. They might go to hell, but don't you dare let them go without a fight. 25 years from now, North Shore Baptist Church, in large part, will be what you teach your children today. And finally, application point number three. Declare your dependence upon a Redeemer, a Savior, and a Lord. Today, call upon the Lord, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. North Shore Baptist Church, I love you. One of the ways that I demonstrate my love for you is that I give you the Word of God. May God take the Word which was given to you today and cause you, please, to listen, to obey, and to look to the great Judge and the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, please cause this word today to be effective in the ears of the people, to soften and enlarge their hearts, and give them grace, Lord, to do what they must do in order to glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. Would you take one moment and turn to the person beside you and discuss an aspect of the sermon today which has in any way been helpful to you? And then in just a moment, Dan will come and lead us in our next song.